last week uh, I spoke on the um, the uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and if you'll turn there in your Bible, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6, about what we were warring against uh, in this present age in which we live. It's a battle that's yet to be won for the church worldwide. We are in a fierce and ferocious battle. Now, I've got a slide up here, and it's going to stay up here the entire time that we're here uh, for the sermon. Now, I don't want, as I have heard so many uh, sermons on the armor of God, they refer to this armor of the Roman soldier. These are all outward protective equipment. But what I'm going to talk about today is the inward protective equipment. It is so vital and so important that we as believers understand that God has put something within us that we can combat everything that Satan throws at us. doesn't matter what it is. It could be financial. It could be physical. It could be almost anything. Satan will not win the battle, ever. You may think at certain times and certain points in your life, Lord, I just can't stand much more of this. And we think that Satan is going to overcome us. That is not true. Jesus is the overcomer. And he will win each and every time. And Satan doesn't stand a chance as a snowball in Halifax. Okay? Now, the Roman soldier wore all this armor to, put, to protect himself from his enemies. From the very crown of his head to the very sole of his feet. The soldiers were physically ready. For battle and having to carry the weight of all this armor was no matter for the weak. They had to be in good shape. They didn't eat laced potato chips and drink Diet Dr. Pepper. I'm sure that these guys were probably meat eaters, and they worked out probably every day because this weight of this armor that they had to wear was about 80 pounds. That's a lot of weight to carry. In fact, I'm carrying 80 pounds more than I should be carrying right now. Well, the soldiers warred in columns. They would have maybe 12 abreast, or it could, could have been more, but they always warred in columns. And whenever they approached the enemy, they had these shields that were almost complete body shields. When they approached the enemy and they knew that the barrage of arrows, the fiery missiles were coming, the row in front would get on their knees and hold these shields in front of them. The others in those columns would crouch down and hold the shields over their heads. It was very difficult for an arrow or a fiery dart to get through 
these protective shields. It was almost impossible. It was, it was probably very unlikely that uh, whenever they did this combat maneuver that anybody got injured. Once the barrage stopped for the enemy to reload, then they would stand up and move forward. And then the arrows would start flying again or the, the firing missiles would start flying again. They would do the same thing. They would take a little bit of ground at the time. Listen to what I'm saying. This is what Satan does. He takes just a little bit of ground at a time. He doesn't take the whole field of battle. He takes one progressive step at a time. And the next thing you know, if you let him continue this way, he will overcome you. But if Christ is your leader, if he is your commandant, if he is your savior, then you will win the battle as long as you are following him. As long as he, as long as you hold up that shield of faith, can't touch you. Now in my notes, I left the word A out of Satan. I got Stan in one of them. So if you hear me say Stan, you know who I'm talking about, okay? Stan, yeah. <laughs> I looked at that and I said, boy, my computer, spell check, just did not work on that one. But I want you to look in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. And we read uh, chapter... Uh, chapter 6, verse 12 last week. But I want to start off with verse 10 this morning. Finally, my brethren and sisters, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. If you were to read in Psalms 24:10, who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Now, if God be for us, let me, who can be against us? There's no power, no demon, no force, no evil, no wickedness that overcame Jesus Christ. And because we are in him, it should play the same for us. There is no force, no power, no evil, no wickedness that can overcome us as we are walking step by step with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When we engage in spiritual warfare, we fight in the power of his might. We will never lose the battle because it is the Lord God Almighty who is there with us and the demons shudder at the name of Jesus. You begin to speak the name of Jesus, and my friend, the demons have to leave you alone. They can't stand the mixed company of Christ in your conversation. Look in Matthew chapter 8. Turn your Bibles there. I don't have it on the screen. Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. I'm going to read all this. 
And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, or the Gadarenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs. Man, what a place to live. Exceeding fear so that no man might pass by that way. Sounds like walking down the streets of Chicago, New York, and all the streets in California, doesn't it? Have to cross the other side. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? See, they knew who he was. The demons know who Jesus is. Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devil. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. Why did they do that? These were Hellenistic Jews who worshipped idols. Every time it thundered, they had the, the uh, thunder god or the god of Zeus. Every time it thundered, I suppose they probably fell on their knees and worshipped their god. So this probably had a financial impact upon that city because they thought if Jesus stayed there, maybe he may perform more miracles like this and they, were, they would have a financial impact in their city. They didn't think about these two men who were filled with demons that Jesus released them from and they ran into the herd of swine killing every one of them because have you ever noticed that pigs don't swim very well? You ever thrown a, a pig in, into a lake or a pool or anything like that? You got a, no, no, I haven't either. I'm just, I'm just told that pigs don't swim really well. And so when they ran, into, they ran into the water, they just drowned. And so the people that were feeding them and the owner of that particular herd of swine had to feel a financial impact. And all the other people in the city who were Hellenistic Jews and were worshiping other gods didn't want anything to happen to whatever impact it may have upon their financial circumstances. So they ran Jesus out of the city. And this is where, when we go into a place to witness, or we go to a person and witness, this is shaking the dust off your feet. Some people are just not going to receive the salvation message of Jesus Christ. They're just not, they don't want to hear it. I may have said this sometime before in one of my other sermons, that when I was 
I don't know, 10 or 12 that I would sneak into Headland Avenue Baptist Church and I would open up the hymn book, stand it there on the stand in the pulpit, and I would be pretending that I was preaching. I had every one of those pews saved before I left. <laughs> every one of them. But you know, I never really gave it much thought as I became older about Jesus. I knew who he was. I knew what he had done by dying on the cross. But it never became a reality to me until I was 26 years old. Then it became a reality. Look in verse 11, if you will, of Ephesians chapter 6. <coughs> The Bible tells us to put on the whole armor of God for what reason? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What are the wiles of the devil? They're scheming. He's plotting. He's calculating his every move, how he can overcome you and me. He never gives up. He never takes a break. He's got more demons than we can ever think about counting. And so they're at work 24-7 trying to get us to fall into his plotting and into his schemes. Satan lied to Eve in the Garden of Eden, and he said, Thou shalt not surely die. She says, Well, God said we could eat of every tree in the garden except this one. Satan says, No, you're not going to die. You, you're going to come, become sort of like God. You'll know what knowledge is all about. And so Eve just couldn't help herself. She had to take a bite of that fruit, whatever it was. We all assume it was an apple. I don't know. Could have been a, it could have been a plum. Have no clue. But whatever it was, she disobeyed God and took a bite of that tree, that fruit off the uh, forbidden tree. And I've heard people say, well, I told a white lie. I don't find anywhere in the Bible a color chart for lies or for any other sin for that matter. Anybody seen a color chart in the Bible that says, okay, this is a white lie, this is a gray lie, this is a black lie, this one's blue? Never see that in the Scripture. Sin is sin no matter how we as human beings want to categorize that sin. The devil will try to deceive us into believing that sin is no big deal and it was such a small sin, it doesn't really matter. Again, sin doesn't come in small, medium, large, extra large, or extra, extra large. Sin is sin no matter what. We can't say, I can't say that, Lord, it was just, it was so infinitesimal that it, it, it didn't hurt anybody, it hurt the heart of God. Every time we do something wrong, it hurts the very heart of God. What are some of the wiles that we're talking about? The wiles of the devil. One is challenging God's word. Genesis 3. God's word is truth. And when you and I have feasted in the word of God, you will be girded up. That means Get ready. If we don't feast in the word of God, we're never going to be ready for battle. We're going to lose that battle. 
And Satan will overcome us, but with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ living within us, he does not ever win. Ever. The other while that I find is challenging your identity. In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted of Satan, he says, if you are the son of God, then do so and so. My friend, sometimes the devil will tell you that you're not really saved. And you better tell him, get back, Jack, because I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, I am saved because I believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I am somebody in him. I am who he says I am. I'm a child of the king, the king of glory, who wins the battle. If you are doubting your salvation, you may be online, you may be here, you may be doubting your salvation to some extent, I don't know. But I want you to let God give you a hug of assurance today. Let him put his arms around you and hug you just like a child and say, you are my child. And you have been since that day that you believed. And there is nothing that Satan and his demons can ever do anything to change that. I've been birthed by the Spirit of God into the, into the kingdom of God, by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by no other means. He'll also use this twisting of Scripture. And he'll get you to say, well, God didn't really mean what he said, did he? Let me tell you something. This is the Word of God, whether you believe it or not. I've heard people say, well, this is God's Word. I believe it, and that settles. No, 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 no. This is the Word of God. It makes no difference whether I believe it or not. It is settled. God's Word is forever settled in heaven. So it makes no difference whether we believe it or not. It's still God's Word. And he'll offer you a tempting alternative to obedience. We'll get to Stan in just a minute because he's on this page somewhere. <laughs> Let's take a, for instance, prayer. And we can pray every now and then. And sometimes we'll pray when we really, especially need God. Let's say there's a traumatic event in your life. And I know this has happened in so many people's lives that I know. There's been this traumatic event. And they have never called upon the name of God until that traumatic event happens. And they say, they blame God. God, why did you do this? Why did you allow this? And God always gets the blame for it. But you know what? He's used to it. He can take it because he's a God of love. Last week I spoke that we are wrestling against powers, principalities, and wickedness in dark places. Verse 13, if you'll look, we are admonished to take up the whole armor of God. To do what? That we may be able to withstand. When the barrage of attacks comes from the enemy, 
We must spiritually be ready or we're going to fall like a lead balloon. Everybody, anybody ever seen a lead balloon fly? You know, up in, uh, up in Helen, Georgia, they have, uh, in Hiawassee, Georgia, they have this, this air balloon every year. And these people get in there, and you can ride in those things. But if they give out a gas, what's going to happen? Whoa. You couldn't cut me up with a chainsaw and put me in one of those baskets and fly me up there. Now, I'm stupid, but I'm not that stupid. Because it'd be my luck that their propane tank would only be half full. And on the way down, I'd already be half dead. If we are diligent about our walk with Jesus and having done all that he has commanded us to do, we can stand. We can't fight laying down. We can't fight retreating. We must move forward despite the attacks. Do not give up. Do not give in. Jesus is by your side, and if he be for us, who can be against us? Nobody. You think about the power that Jesus had. You think about the power of God. With just the blow of his nostrils, God opened the Red Sea. And the Hebrews walked across on dry land. No muck, no mire, dry land. And if there's a sea in front of you and you need that sea parted, God, through the blow of his nostril, can open that sea up in front of your life and you can walk through that sea on dry land and you can come out to the other side victorious. And when you reach the other side, you won't have to worry about looking back behind you because Jesus has got your back. He does. He's got your back. Look in verse 14. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. The word gird means to get ready. When you become a believer, get ready because the battle is just about to begin. I can remember when I was first saved, Satan couldn't touch me. Man, I was so full of the Holy Spirit, so full of Jesus, he couldn't even get close to me. I went to work that day, that Monday after I was saved on Sunday night, on March the 25th, 1973. And I probably told you this, but I'm going to tell you again. My wife says I use the same illustrations too much, but this, this is worthwhile, trust me. I walked into J.C. Penney. And Miss Brewer was standing there at the cash register. And I walked in, and I walked by her. She says, wait a minute. She says, something has happened to you. What is it? I said, I got saved last night. She says, I knew it. I knew it. I could see it all over you. And my friend, when you get saved, people can see that Jesus is living inside you. And we should never let that diminish throughout our Christian walk with the Lord Jesus. But it does sometimes. We shouldn't allow it. The scripture says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does righteousness mean? Righteousness mean? It means having done the right things. 
As, well, as long as we're doing the right things in the Lord, we're going to be righteous. This is the righteousness of Christ within us because apart from Christ dwelling in us, we have no righteousness. Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. And you, have, you and I have seen people who are self-righteous. And uh, I know of this one man who uh, called himself a Christian. He would go to church and he would take his check. He would hold that thing up in there and drop it in the offering plate when the offering plate came by. This is what I call self-righteousness. He wanted everyone to know that he has given his tithe. Now, he probably made $1,500 that week but only gave maybe $10. But he dropped that check in there, and it made him feel good about himself for a little while. It is the righteousness of Christ that guards and protects our hearts from the enemy. Not the heart muscle, but the uniqueness of our innermost being of who we are in Christ. And you are, and I am, somebody in the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 15. And having your, uh, and having your uh, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now the Roman soldiers, when they had their sandals, and I'm going to use this illustration as an outward thing, but get, to get to an inward thing. Now, their sandals had spikes on them, and they were probably about this long, which gave them sure-footedness. And when they defeated their enemy and they were walking through the ones they had already killed, they would step on those, pushing these spikes into their bodies. But this gave them sure-footedness. And they wouldn't slip, they wouldn't slide on rough terrain. So when we shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel, we will have sure-footedness. But without that, we're going to slip and we're going to fall. So make sure that you and I always shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I started to say preparation H. Where'd that come from? Whoa. <laughs> The peace that Jesus gives surpasses all understanding, and the unsaved did not have that peace. I didn't have it. You didn't have it. Might have had a little bit of peace, but not much. But when Jesus comes into our life and into our heart and forgives us of all our sins, we have a total and complete peace that we have satisfied ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ living within us, and that peace becomes a calmness. When I was saved, I have never felt so calm in my entire life. It was a peace that surpassed my own comprehension, my own understanding. Jesus said in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace do I give unto you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, I'm not afraid of the enemy. He doesn't scare me one iota because I know who I am in the Lord Jesus Christ and I have his peace. He doesn't scare me. I, am, I don't shudder at him. 
I don't shudder when I know that he's attacking me, and he attacks me every day, every day. When I was studying last night, the Lord was giving me so much stuff, I couldn't write it down quick enough. And I've got this little tablet, I just write stuff in real quick, just little pieces. And about 1.30 this morning, the Lord quit talking to me, so I knew I was done, or he was done. But I wrestled all night long. Have you ever wrestled with God at night? Boy, what a wrestling match. And you know what? I wasn't tired this morning when I didn't want to get up, but I wasn't tired when I did get up. The world has a false peace and comes and goes with the wind. You know, sometimes uh, we'll see on TV, on the news, that, oh, there's, there's going to be peace here, there's going to be peace there. Let me tell you something. There's never going to be peace worldwide until Jesus comes. Then we'll have peace. And let me share this little tidbit with you. The United States of America will not always have the back of Israel. We're going to betray them according to what the scripture says. That's a crying shame that that's going to happen. In the battle of Armageddon, when the battle begins and when it ends, the Bible says the blood will be deep as the bits on a horse's bridle. That's pretty deep. Millions upon millions will be killed. And the ravenous vultures will be flying overhead. So, my friend, if you want to pray for our nation, as Mike said a while ago, you better, we better be getting on our knees and start praying for it. Because I can't change the route it's going alone. You can't change it alone. But on our knees, we can change it together. And that's the only thing that's going to save the United States of America is the people of God getting on their face before God and praying for this nation. Look in verse 16. Above all, I mean, with everything else about the armor of God, above all, he says, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench not some, but all the fiery darts of the wicked ones. The darts of the wicked one throws that he throws are hurtful and causes much pain and sorrow when striking us, when we let down our shield of faith. If that shield is in place, we have the protective spiritual armor that will withstand anything that Satan throws at us. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. If you want to be an overcomer, then have faith. And how do we get faith? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you don't stay in the word, you're not going to have any faith. This is the principal weapon that we have. James chapter 1 verses 2, two through 6 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the uh, testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. If you want to have wisdom, ask of God, he'll give it to you. If you want to have your faith increase, stay in the word of God. This will increase your faith like nothing else. Once you become a, a believer, it is here where Satan will attack you the most. His attacks are calculated, and just when your mind wanders from God, Satan will put thoughts there, and if not quickly confessed, This will grow like a mushroom and produce even more thoughts that are not pleasing to God. Now, the bird of ungodly thoughts may fly over our heads, but we don't have to let it build a nest there, right? Now, we're all going to have thoughts that we shouldn't have, but when those thoughts remain there, then the bird starts building its nest there. Philippians 2, 5 says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. So we're supposed to have the same like-mindedness that Christ had. And how do we get that? By studying the scripture and letting that scripture become a very integral part of our innermost being. Look at verse 17. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner, discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. How many of you have ever, ever had an operation? Anybody here? I have. And when that surgeon uses that knife, it only cuts one way, but it's very precise. Now, the Roman soldiers had what they called a two-edged sword. When they went down with it, it cut. When they brought it back up, it cut again. And that's the way the Word of God is. The Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it will cut any sin out of my life if I apply the Word of God. This is the only defensive weapon that we have in the Scripture is the Word of God. Immorality, wickedness, unnatural affection, and all ungodliness cannot coexist where the Word of God is. If the Word of God dwells within me, then sin doesn't stand a chance when the devil tries to slip sin into your life. There's no other weapon that the Bible tells us that, is, that we, as a believer, have as a defensive weapon. I would invite you to do as Jesus did when tempted. Quote scripture, and Satan's going to flee from you. Every time. He can't stand it. Satan cannot stand the word of God. He doesn't want you to read it, doesn't want you to study it, doesn't want you to listen to it.
And I'm, I'm assuming that everybody here is saved. I'm assuming that everybody's watching online is saved, but I don't know. But if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, confess to him that you are a sinner and believe that God has raised him from the dead, you can do that today. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He died on the cross for the sins of the whole world because the Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a good feeling to know that when I die, I'm going to heaven just to live again and never worry about sin, never worry about death, never worry about disease, never worry about anything. But there's a lot of people that I know that don't have that kind of peace. There's some people I know that if they died, that they know they would bust hell wide open. And I'm sure that you know some people who are not saved. And the only way that they're going to get, be saved is if you and I actually do the work that Jesus put us here on this earth for. Once we become a believer, it is up to us to win the loss to Christ. There are very few people who will just suddenly walk into a church, listen to a sermon, and get saved. Very few. It does happen. But when we shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel, what are we going to do with that? We got our feet, we got our shoes on, we got the gospel on our feet. The Bible says, go into the hedges and the byways and preach the gospel to the lost. How many times a week do I witness? Well, people say, well, they can see it in my life. They should be able to. But how many times do we open our mouths and speak the name of Jesus in mixed company? <laughs> Maybe you've got brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins, friends, whatever, that don't know the Lord. How are they going to know if we don't become the mouthpiece of God? You know, we're in our, our four walls of our safe haven here. This is not where the battle is, folks. It's out there. The battle is always out there in the world. We have the great commission of Christ going to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth and preach the gospel. It doesn't mean that you have to be called to preach. It just means share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I invite you to share with someone. Think of someone right now that you can share the gospel with. If they say, well, how's your day going? Say, well, because of Jesus, it's going really good. That gives you the opportunity to witness. Some small thing that somebody says, you can always divert that to Jesus and become a witness for him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed by the truth of your word that it is indeed sharper than a two-edged sword and it will cut away the sin in our lives. Father, I pray for this body of believers, I pray for the church worldwide that we are living in such a state of turmoil that it's hard to see 
you working, but you are behind the scenes working it out for us. And I have no doubts that you know what's going on. I have no doubts that you know what it's going to take to turn the worldwide church around. Those believers who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We have an opportunity every day of our lives to become a witness to those who are lost. And I pray this week we will take advantage of that opportunity. We will not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. I pray for our pastor, Brother Phil. Father, I pray that you'll bless him in an unusual way today. Father, that you'll let him stand and withstand the fiery darts of Satan as he hurls those at him. Not only spiritually, but also physically, the things that he's gone through. Father, I pray for Moose, who is with us here today, and I pray for Charlton. Father, I've never seen such a couple that was so in love with each other and so in love with you. And I ask you to bless them. Bless them in a real and unusual way this day. Bless the believers that are here today. Bless those who could not be here for whatever reason. I pray that you'll gird them with thy truth. And they'll, they'll just feel the, the loving arms around them. And they will know that you are there with them. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. to see